<coughs> last night, uh, Ajahn Cha talked about first to understand the Dharma, but we not yet practiced it. That we practice it. Uh, we just move the curtain back so it won't blow so much. It's nice to have the air. Then we practice, but have not yet seen the Dharma. We see the Dharma, but have not yet become the Dharma. Uh, understanding, just giving a, a general cognitive perspective on this path. Buddha talked about, I teach two things. I teach about suffering and the ending of suffering. Suffering dukkha, which is a, a word that, that covers the whole range from uh, the really dukkha dukkha, the painful being with that which is hard to be with, sickness, aging, aching joints, There's still hope for us, though, with that yoga practice, I hope. <laughs> Hunger. Uh, devastating grief and loss. There's some things that are just painful. That, that word dukkha, apart from the akash, apart from perfection, or that which is not easy to be with. But it not only covers the, the difficulty, it can even... Uh, cover the unnameable anxieties or distress, not really being able to settle. It can even uh, be, one can even reference it to the pleasant experience, which is pleasing, but it's changeable, and we're worrying about losing it. There's even even sukkha is dukkha, even the, the, the pleasing can be. Well, there's this word that the Buddha talks about, there is dukkha and the ending of it. Talking about uh, a place where there's no more, as Ajahn Chah talked like last night, no more falseness. We're true, truly in harmony. When he was looking at the origin of these experiences of uh, distress, conflict, uh, confusion, not being in harmony with the way things are, he talked about the root condition being uh, avijja, not seeing clearly. Vijja means wisdom or to see clearly, even linked, I believe, to the English word vision. Vijja, vision, I believe. I'm not a great etymologist, but uh, makes sense. So avijja, the prefix a, means it's not seeing clearly, not understanding. And that when there is uh, understanding, clear comprehension, seeing clearly, the, the, uh, there is the possibility of recognizing the perfection. What I 
called last night, I believe, the original brightness or the inherent peacefulness. We chanted the qualities of the Dharma this morning. This, in its highest, most profound sense, the, the sublimely peaceful and radiant Dharma, the Buddha said, and we chanted it this morning, is always sandhiktika, it's always here and now. It's timeless. It's ahipasika, it's even inviting us. The truth doesn't have a closed door. Not a guardian at the gate saying, hmm, how old are you now? What was your <coughs> mother's bloodline? Nothing about color, nothing about sex, age. The, the truth open, welcoming us. So cognitively, just getting our this notion that there is a, a sacredness, a beauty, an importance that's here and now, but through not really understanding, we become refugees from our own wisdom, compassion, capacity for peacefulness. So in terms of understanding cognitively, getting a perspective on the path, an essential feature of path activity is what's called sati, or mindfulness. Be mindful. Sati. It's connected to the word remember. In English, I find that a useful word. It's in contrast to dismember. To remember, it's a connection. In a moment of mindfulness, we are remembering, reconnecting with this here and now experience. moment of mindfulness, we connect with the body sitting, the sensations. How do we know we're sitting and not eating breakfast? Could you saw, am I eating breakfast? How do we know? Uh, but tell me, am I eating breakfast? Well, we have to know, don't we? Am I leaning to the left? Am I leaning to the right? When we remember, connect with sensations, we recognize this, the impressions of sitting. Mindful of the visual field, the impression, oh yeah, shrine room. Mindful of the cognitive capacity, perception, oh yeah, I'm sitting listening to the Dharma, morning instruction. The Buddha made much of this training in mindfulness. the great teachings on mindfulness. What's called the Satipatthana Sutta. Sati means mindfulness. Patthana is frame of reference or a foundation of mindfulness. Not just any old kind of mindfulness liberates you. We can be very mindful of how to rob the bank. We might be liberating the bank of some funds. <laughs> but that's not necessarily liberate us from suffering. For a while, we'll liberate us from worry. Huh? 15 million rands. I won't go anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Certain kind of mindfulness. But in, in the Satipatthana Sutra, the Buddha lays out what kind of mindfulness liberates us. He talks like this. 
this, this path of mindfulness is the one way or the direct way. It's ekayanamaga. Eka means one. Yana. One way maga path. It's a one way path. It's a direct path. Doesn't take you way over here and way over there. This activity of a certain kind of connectedness, remembering. It's a non judgmental remembering. It's a dedicated, there's some effort in it, remembering. It's not a stupid remembering, it's a reflective remembering. It has wisdom in it. This is the Sometimes it's translated, no, it's the only way, you see, we've got the only way, every other way is wrong. Eka means it's a, it's a one way, a direct, and it can also be translated as the pathway back to the Eka, pathway back to when we're home, all the apartheids of the heart, all the splits and cracks and complications that make us end up imagining at times that we're this mood of despair and everything's hopeless and we might as well just end it all. That's a major apartheid of the heart where we're split off from our own sacred, seamless nature. The pathway back to the reunion, the homecoming, Ekayanamaga, another translation, pathway home, pathway back to the one. This is the direct path, the one-way path, monks, nuns, practitioners, listen to this all, for the purification of beings, for the passing beyond sorrow and lamentation, for the cessation of pain and distress. That's the ending of this dukkha, the overcoming of suffering. For the attainment of the supramundane path, for the attainment of that which transcends birth and death, for the touching into this what's called timeless, and it's here, it's not somewhere else. Remember, you won't find the sage out there, no footprints in the sky. It's talking about a dimension that's here. For the realization of Nibbana, this path, what does he say? It's these four foundations of mindfulness. <coughs> Learning to be mindful of kaya, body. Mindful of feeling. Every moment of seeing and hearing and sensation and smelling and tasting and thinking there's a, a valence. There's a sense of being pleased, going toward it, sense of maybe being displeased, maybe it's painful or not trustworthy, or somewhere in the middle, a neutrality. Mindful of body, mindful of feeling, mindful of mind, meaning noticing the awareness, the shape of our awareness, our mood. Is the heart the way we know expanding? Is it fretting? Is it desiring, always wanting something, or not wanting, wanting to get rid of something? Mindfulness of what's called the citta. Finally, mindfulness of dharmas, where we're, it's the reflective, reflecting on the nature of things, liberating us from confusion. 
But the, uh, the first foundation the Buddha makes a lot of this mindfulness of the body, we're going to, uh, throughout the retreat, this is very going to be very important. In our sitting and walking practice, in our yoga practice, remember connected to our body and the Buddha teaches how to do this in a way where we learn to deeply relax and learn little by little to let go of the scattered nature of awareness so that we become unified centered plugged in rooted in our foundation of mindfulness in the body and we actually learn how to coax and invite our body into consciousness. And there, there, there's a, a possibility of cultivating what the Buddha called samadhi, or a pleasant way of being, a pleasing. That's, that's skillful because it's emerging from our own presence. This is, comes out of the training of mindfulness. And this mindfulness just to give a feeling of what we're going to be doing today. For example, we contemplate the body in the body. We don't have to at first contemplate every form everywhere. Yes, we're going to be contemplating that, but we can also contemplate one body which is part of the whole body. We can contemplate this, this body, or even a, a part of the body within the body, the hand, the joints. It all eventually unifies and connects to a unity and to that which is around us. But we're contemplating an aspect of form. And here's how the Buddha defines this practice of mindfulness with atapi, or it's translated here as effort. It's an effort, it's not just a certain kind of effort, it's a tuned effort. It's a dedicated effort that begins again and begins again. It's tuned in the sense that we make too much effort. I've got to get mindful. He said it's for overcoming distress. Go for it. <laughs> and we, so our eyes are bucking out. The jaws clenched. We might even have to phone the dentist and cock's dead because we've got cracked molars on day two and three and four. And then we collapse. So yes, there's a time for some strong effort, but it, it, we want a sustained effort. There's time for softening the effort, hardening the effort. So the effort's connected with sampajanya, clear comprehension. An effort that's not just a blind effort, an effort that's continually reflecting on how's it going, sensing the perspective. An effort that's also connected with mindfulness, staying in touch with the sensations of the body. Clear comprehension puts, like this mindful bank robber I'm talking about, could be very mindful. I've watched movies. <laughs> very, very, very mindful, but is that mindfulness, sati sampajanya, is it clear comprehension, is it including, is it noticing the karmic consequences of robbing, taking what doesn't belong, 
<laughs> or maybe we're really so mindful, Kings also be mindful, so we're walking out the door mindfully, and then we, we, we find a sensation right there in the middle of the door. Oh, yes. Mindful. Mindful, meanwhile, the practitioners are backing up, backing up, breathing, patience, patience. Kitty's always being mindful of the door. <laughs> so mindful, so mindful. And someone throws a shoe, and then we've got a, Tennis has to come in and do, what do you call it when you call people conflict, conflict resolution? On <laughs> <laughs> the first day. You said mindfulness, could you say, yes, and sampajanya, mindfulness and clear comprehension so that we, we, we see the setting. So it's, a, it's not a, just a contracted effort, a blind effort. It's in touch with body, aware of the place, adjusting our effort. And the atapi means the effort is, it's persistent again and again, but always getting the feedback, always sensing too much effort, too little effort, we adjust our effort. Contemplating the body in the body with effort, with clear comprehension, with mindfulness, and we subdue covetousness and distress with regard to the world. Subdue. Sometimes says it's translated as eradicate. I don't like that translation. It's like we're having to have some poisonous spray or something. Now it's talking about in this mindfulness training, if we are chronically always swept away by the longing, oh, I wish I just wish people would get along, and I wish I felt better, and I wish it was this way, and I wish it was that way, you know. It's always sweeping us out there, looking for the sacred bit over there. This desire or distress, you know, chronically, when we're compulsively, chronically distressed by the politics, the this, the that, the whatever it is, and these all may be really important. We're not, and we will come back to looking at things, but then we never really deeply go into the true nature of something, because we're so busy wanting and not wanting. So this mindfulness training, it's rooted first and foremost in our training of being with the body, with persistence, with dedication, remembering this cognitive frame that we don't know it, maybe, but just trusting the Buddha said this training will lead to the freedom. Because the more connected we are to the moment without so much wanting and not wanting, that's a non-judgmental awareness. It's not a biased awareness. It's not a convoluted awareness. So rather than eradicate desire and aversion, get it in perspective, let it be, to subdue it and keep encouraging ourselves, no, but right, what's now? As I sit and breathe in and out, as I walk.
This will help us learn to cultivate a reprieve from the madness. Moments of connection, embodiment, relaxation, balance and healing, which is a blessing. And two, as we'll see, this composure, then when it does actually look into something, there's revelation. A composed mind, when it's directed to something, sees the way things are. Sometimes we, we, we don't have a commo- composed mind. Our version of reality is, you're bad, you're good. It's opinions. It's, it might be based on something from yesterday, but it's not really composed and really revealing through wisdom what's really here and now. So I, I'm just still helping us have a cognitive frame of, of why it's also useful to do this mindfulness practice. It's said to liberate. But we can just see for ourselves. We're not asking anyone to rob a bank or anyone to do anything harmful. We're composing ourselves. And then uh, today, uh, certainly this first part of the retreat, probably good advice for even a lot of the retreat, really encouraging us to to take a long breath, which was the first advice the Buddha gave on training <coughs> in this foundation of mindfulness of the body. A long in-breath, a long out-breath, wherever we happen to be, so that we can remember I'm here, standing, walking. doesn't have to be a loud breath, it can be a quiet breath. One mindful breath to notice. I'm sitting. We're going to be using mindfulness of the breathing as our pathway, uh, one of our primary pathways into this foundation of Satipatthana, this foundation of mindfulness. In the sitting practice, we can also use it if we wish in the walking. To the Buddha talked about uh, determining: May I be sustain this mindfulness, this awareness of the in and the out breathing. And again, to have a framework uh, to just notice when we're in the shrine, we're not on the highway anymore. Relatively speaking, we're with kindred spirits who are dedicated to awakening and a peaceful abiding. That recognition can help encourage us to relax. Don't have to, sympathetic nervous system doesn't have to be so fired up in terms of protection. It still might be fired up. We think, uh, I noticed in schools when I uh, used to teach this, you know, get someone to close their eyes. Oh, I can't close my eyes. What, what are people thinking? What are they looking? Well, in this group, we can just check. Okay, look, it's okay here. Yes, it's true. Uh, 
a massive hailstone might come crashing through the roof, it might, meteor. dinosaur. It might, but we could say, oh, okay, no, no, this is relatively safe. <coughs> That's the advantage of being in a, in, a, in a retreat. And we're surrounded on this mountain by, relatively speaking, pris, pristine air. Lichens and things grow here that don't grow just anywhere in cities, because this is pure. We have permission to breathe in anytime we want. And that even though the sense of self might be me with all these problems and I've got to do something to get over it and I don't know if I'm ever going to get there, I don't know, that actually this so-called me is continually has an opportunity to be blessed anytime we want by an in-breath. And we can mindfully receive that long breath, really feeling that breath come in. It's from around us, what we call not me. When we breathe it in, we can feel it, the sensations touching. Nostrils, lungs, belly, breathing in, breathing out. We can breathe out anytime we want. making that effort to stay connected to the, to the sensations, actual experience. When it's talking about the mindfulness of the body and the body, it's not talking about uh, our opinion about our body, whether we think we have a beautiful body or not a beautiful body or an aged body. These are all opinions. What the uh, Buddha was talking about was the actual sensations of hardness, softness, heat, coolness, movement, pressure, vibration, connecting. And then if desires and aversions about the body or anything else come up, we just touch them lightly rather than eradicate them. Touch them lightly, let them be, and keep encouraging ourselves just to be with the sensation of breathing in and out. to give ourselves uh, permission today to just be in moments with, this sit, with standing, with sitting, with breathing, with stretching, with listening. Our refuge, Buddha refuge, is in this quality of mindfulness, presence, being aware and connected. Connected to this bodily sensation, pressure from gravity of the body being pulled to the cushion, to the chair, to the bench, sensation of the body, clothing touching the body, a mindful long in-breath, how do we know we're breathing in? 
a mindful long out breath where we consciously relax because we're not trying, remember, to get somewhere else. As we relax on the out breath and soften the forehead, the shoulder, the heart, the solar plexus, the belly back, giving ourselves permission to be here now. Atapi, this practice accompanied by a kind of ardor or effort. But remember one that's tuned. The image the Buddha gave for effort is it's like tuning a stringed instrument. It's tuned too tight, it screeches or breaks. Too much effort. We just get exhausted. Too little effort, we'll notice we're just drifting. So we, 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 you know, we get so comfortable with our fifth pillow, seventh prop. And we just find ourselves uh, drifting off so much. So we, 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 we make a little more effort, perhaps put a little more energy into the posture, not be quite so comfortable. <coughs> We're tuning our effort. And uh, lastly, this one of the things that perpetuates our suffering, distress, conflict in the world, the root cause of it, when the Buddha traced it back. He was asked by the great Saka, king of the god of the heaven of the 33, who said, uh, Lord Buddha, what's the cause of all this conflict? Why do people who want peace, why do we end up living in conflict? And the Buddha said, well, first, you know, he traced it back. Even though everybody wants, wants peacefulness, he noticed, no, if you look at that first cause, it's because people get stingy, I want this, I want this, and envious. I want what you got. What I have, nobody's going to get close. This is my space. Okay, so do you have any spray paint? I want this. Tanisha, don't get in my space. <laughs> Envious, stingy. And then when he, when he kept tracking it back, desire, what is really important and precious in mind and what I don't want, and he traced it all back to thinking and then to what's called papancha, conceptual proliferation. Just thinking that's out of control, tinged with delusion. We just get overwhelmed by thinking. I mean, encourage us the first... Uh, on this retreat to develop what the Buddha called vitaka, a certain kind of thinking that helps us. It's called a directed thought. Like the thought when I'm wandering all around, I'm sitting, sitting. That's just one thought. It's a moderation of thought that brings me here. It's guiding our presence. The thought breathing in. 
It's a quiet thought that doesn't block everything else out. It's a thought that directs the attention back to the refuge of mindfulness connectedness. Or even the thought, how is it now? It's a short thought that directs our, it, the thought dissolves, so it doesn't just lead to endless more. How is it now? It's, it's a thought that can encourage us to return to that connection, mindful connection, to, oh, I'm really tense. Long breath, relax. It's a moderation of thoughts, not hating thought, but we're going to train ourselves in the sitting, in the walking, in our practice through the day, Like if we're walking to our room, rather than just walking to our room thinking about something and not being there, we could just have a short thought. Walking to my room, walking. Let that thought dissolve, but then for a few more moments, we're just with that. Ah. No, the room is very important because in the room, I'm going to write down the inside I have that could change my life. I've got to get to my room quickly. Do I have a pen? (coughs) (coughs) Hurrying, hurrying. Just the thought hurrying. Oh, we get in perspective that ghost that's saying, faster, faster, you're not going to get there in time. Hurrying. A beautiful, sacred, directed thought that was very useful to me, to Tanisra, one of the foundation practices in Thailand which you can, you can find your own thoughts with the breathing, but you can breathe in with the thought bud, that's B-U-D, and breathe out with the thought to, D-H-O, it's Buddha. But it's not that historical Buddha, 2,500. How many years ago is it? It's in the nominative case. It's the awakened one. It's this one. You, me, here. So it just means awake, bud. Quiet thought. Good. Remembering all sorts of thinking. Remember, we're subduing. We're letting the desires and aversions be. We're not going to attack them, but we let them be. And with each Buddha, it reminds us to be with that in-breath and the sensations of the body. With each toe. Or if that even gets too clunky, you can even be quiet on the in-breath. And buto on the outbreath. If you don't even like buto, you can just be in, out. It's a quiet thought that directs us, and it dissolves and encourages the receptive quality of mind. It feels into that moment. So I'm encouraging us today to be. Patient, kind, and in terms of understanding, we're we're on this ancient ekayanamaga, even a moment of mindfulness, we're on that direct path, that pathway back home to, not somewhere else, to profoundly, sacredly being here now. And because many of us are tired or exhausted or this or that, 
Sometimes coming into the body is not so easy, but I encourage this. That's one of the perpetuations of problems is we come back to the body and it's so painful we think, don't want to be here, so we kick it upstairs to thinking about getting to where it's going to be good. But if we patiently trust that the Buddha is Bhagavai, blesses, moments of mindfulness, Bhutto, even if we come to a body that's tired, can we bless that? Be aware, patiently aware as we breathe into it if it's a fatigue sensation. Relaxing and being with the sensation, even if it's painful and fatiguing as we breathe out. And a wonderful outcome it can happen as we mix this body. <coughs> as we infuse it, suffuse it, permeate it with awareness. In Bhutto, the mind reminding us moment after moment to come back and be right here. This is how the unification happens. This is the, the birth of what's called Samadhi, Chitta Kagata, what the Buddha calls the unified state. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.